Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Bottoming, the podcast about LGBTQ mental health, rock bottoming and beyond. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BottomingPod or visit BottomingPodcast.com for more content relating to each episode. We've also added a support page to direct you to the right place if you're struggling or need someone to talk to. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe. Hello, I'm Matthew. And I'm Brendan, and our pronouns are he and him. So in this week's episode, we're going to be speaking to Amazon Letty. Amazon is a global LGBTQ advocate and athlete um, who we'll be speaking to later on in the episode. But how have you been, Matthew? Um, yeah, it's been busy, actually, hasn't it? We've had it a busy, is. busy couple of weeks. I've moved back to London, finally, getting to know this new area. Mm. It's actually... Gorgeous. Yeah. Stunning. Really, really nice. Fine. I don't know why I didn't take your advice earlier. <laughs> but I actually had a gorgeous walk the other day. I went uh, along the canal, said hello and waved from, from the canal, mm-hmm. and then went up to Walthamstow, took a U-turn, came right back because <laughs> uh, it started to rain. But gorgeous. Really gorgeous. nice green. Then I went to Stratford yesterday. We're doing a little tour here. Um, and But I got really like anxious panicky reactions to be in some of the shops again mm. and I, I was thinking is it because of the fact that i haven't been in them for a while or is it because i've worked in a lot of shops a lot of the the shops that are actually in, in stratford mm. uniqlo for example mm. another one which we won't name um cause and whether <laughs> the reactions are because i'm remembering what it was like to work there uniqlo for <laughs> instance strict as hell mm. in terms of everything needs to be folded and i saw I, I literally just looked at like a polo shirt because my dress sense is now a mid-40s man um and someone rushed over and, and and realigned the shirt after i was there and i was like you know what it's not rude it's just i feel so bad for them 
because yeah. like they're being made to like, everything needs to be perfect everything yeah. needs to be in line and there's bigger things isn't there there's much bigger things at the minute yeah you shouldn't be feeling that stress Mm-mm. so had a bit of a yeah panicky moment mm. um but i'm really loving it being here i feel really at home already yeah. i will say i mid mid the other lockdowns yeah i had a very similar feeling was super super anxious going anywhere mm. crowded more than three people and i was stressed out about it mm-hmm. but since being since having my first vaccine la- at the end of last month um or yeah end of last month it's kind of made me feel a lot more relaxed and mm. um, i think just because i've got asthma and yeah it would stress me out but knowing that i've had one vaccine has definitely helped yeah. me a little bit um and obviously seeing case numbers and stuff go down definitely makes a difference but i think just shopping in general Mm. Westfield shopping centres in general, <laughs> I mean, oh. and obviously the the throwbacks to working in retail. Yeah, just um, a, 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 a a huge wave of uh, emotions. Loads of, yeah, loads of things. Yeah, we've had some other exciting things come out this week. Yeah, so last weekend we had um, it was a very windy, <laughs> windy Sunday morning. Um, My first day back in the city, <laughs> but we um we had a shoot actually. Mm. We did some press photos. Um, so my gorgeous boyfriend, Santail Edwards, um, did a little shoot for us, took some really stunning photos, actually. Was not, um... We don't look half bad. We don't look half bad. <laughs> I was quite interested about them, to be honest. Didn't, didn't, um, didn't have high hopes for what I was going to look like in them, to be mm-hmm, honest. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, check them on our website, actually. There's one oh, there on our website. One. Yeah, yeah. Bottomingpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and also on our socials, at bottomingpod. Um, and then samtaylaedwards.com if you want to check out some more gorgeous photography. Yes, mama. Gorgeous queer videos and art. Art? Artwork. Art. Videos, photography. <laughs> the works on there. Um, but yeah, so that was very, very fun. Um, but the purpose of that mm-hmm. was for an article. It was. We were interviewed by a lovely journalist, Hadley Stewart, um, for Varda magazine. Mm-hmm. We'll put the link Mm-hmm. on a website and on our socials and be sure to share it but mm-hmm. that was a really gorgeous experience yeah it was it was really lovely to speak to Hadley actually yeah. Um, yeah thanks for wanting to speak to us yeah <laughs> um, just about the podcast <laughs> the podcast about the podcast yeah um, and yeah a few other bits in there so definitely try and give that a read we were also featured in the Great British Podcast Newsletter on Sunday um, if you're not subscribed to that already definitely subscribe to the newsletter it's supported by BBC Sounds and written by Scott Bryant, who is a presenter and journalist. Um, the, yeah, they just highlighted our episode with Rosie, which has had lovely feedback. And um, yeah, we're still reeling from that interview, actually, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And also, congratulations to Rosie, because she just oh. won the um, Diva Magazine Rising Star Award. Um, and we said in the interview, many more awards yeah. will come flying her way. <laughs> um, yeah, very well deserved. Well done, Rosie. So one other thing I've been doing this week, um, it's been very, very busy in work. So as as you know, I've mentioned in a previous episode that I work for Tonic Housing, which is going to be the UK's first LGBT retirement community. Um, and as part of this, one project we've been working on recently with six other LGBT organisations is the London LGBTQ IA plus community housing coalition. Um, and we've launched a manifesto um, to ask the next prospective mayor of London to commit to bettering the lives of disadvantaged LGBTQIA people in the capital. Um, so this manifesto has seven recommendations. Um, it's been sent to all 20 of the um, candidates. So if you want to check that out, you can go to tonichausen.org.uk. 
So an example of a couple of things on there. The London LGBTIQA plus Community Housing Coalition, LLCHC for short. It's quite necessary in this. Right, yeah. Um, we're asking the next Mayor of London to commit to seven recommendations. So just a couple of these things are produce a housing strategy for London, fund awareness training for commissioners and delivery staff. There's just a load of things in there that are specific to um, LGBTIQA plus people in the capital. But anyway, yeah, tonichousing.org.uk. You go on there, it's on the front page. You can have a little read of that um, and just see why community housing and LGBT specific housing um, is really important because I think it's definitely a thing that is very overlooked. One thing we watched this week, which really ties into this episode quite nicely, if, if we do say so ourselves, is um, the Steelers documentary. So the film is now on um, Amazon Prime um, in the UK. Um, and it tells the story of the King's Cross Steelers. Um, and it's about, we kind of document their um, competition in the Bingham Cup. <laughs> Me a sportsman. <laughs> um, which is a gay rugby cup. And it shows the progress that's been made since um, the Steelers was formed in 1995. So it was the only club in the, the world. Mm. Um, another 60 gay clubs um, around the world that all come together to compete in the Bingham Cup. You'd love to see it. Um, so yeah, it kind of documents their journey in the competition um, and all of these stories come out and different people that we um, we hear from. Safe to say that both Matthew and I loved it. It was fantastic. It was really, really excellent. There's some really gorgeous um, stories that have been told through the documentary i'm just going to read actually a little bit of a quote this is paraphrasing by the way but this is from nick who is the coach um she's a lesbian um her background was in rugby and she's she got into it through her grandfather Mm -hmm. in wales yeah she described that some of the players thought that the sports pitch didn't belong to them in a way and that it's not their home which i think a lot of lgbt people might feel as well due to you know the conversations we've had previously about exercise and PE mm. and the horrible experiences that we might have had mm. due to our differences. Mm. So that was quite nice to kind of see how they've developed since then mm-hmm. and that they're completely into the game and they're absolutely loving it and now they're owning the field. I sound, I feel a bit uncomfortable saying the word <laughs> field and like talking about sports, but <laughs> I really loved Nick. Um, She's a, a big crier as well, which I can oh. really relate to. Mm. Um, but I thought when she was talking specifically about being being a, a coach, obviously in a in a male dominated sport, mm. um, and how she didn't think she'd have been given that opportunity to have been director of rugby in kind of like a, a regular quote unquote regular club, mm. um, because she was a woman. Yeah, whether she felt accepted and included because of it being an inclusive a gay a gay team. Yeah, especially because because kind of the team see her just as Nick. Mm-hmm. It kind of raised for me quite an interesting point as well about was specifically as gay men as well. We sometimes kind of forget that we have that we still have that privilege as men. Mm. Um. And I think it's just something that we always should be aware of as well mm-hmm. um, with with women and non-binary people in our lives as well, just to kind of always remember that even though we are gay or mm. queer or whatever way we, we identify as, remember the differences in, in people. Um, yeah. Because obviously it was a super inclusive team and it was great, but the way that she spoke about it, I thought was um, particularly insightful. Absolutely. And there was actually a um, 
because I think actually Hadley might have mentioned it to us as yeah. well, uh, because of the content about mental health. And there are some really open uh, conversations about mental health, suicidal ideation, uh, depression, mm. through this lens of um, sports, which is also kind of mirrors what Amazon was, was talking about and mm-hmm. how she sees sport as this thing that got her out of the mm-hmm. out of her dark place for some of these players yeah rugby was this thing that was the beacon yeah. to get them out of bed simon i think is the person you specifically you're talking mm. about who shares his his story about his experiences with it as well and i thought the yeah. way that he spoke so openly about his kind of his usage of antidepressants and yeah what led him to using that there's been a couple of times in the past where doctors have suggested it and i've similarly to some of the things he said i've told myself that i didn't need them not relevant for me mm-hmm. you know i'm not i don't it's kind of you know and i'm not bad enough or mm. these kind of cliche things and i think the fact that he talks about overcoming that mm-hmm. kind of stigma and now he's open yeah and talks about it with his friends and his family um i thought it was really really good to see especially in sports where we would usually um not see that type of conversation absolutely I find it very uplifting, actually, and to see a gay man talk about the positive experience that he'd had from taking antidepressants and not being ashamed of it, because I think one of the things that I hop on about on this podcast is trying to get rid of shame for me, and the way I do it is just literally talking about absolutely everything that's mm. gone on. I think he's doing the exact same thing, which is speaking about it and putting it out there for this additional audience who might come to the documentary for the sport aspect, not necessarily the 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 gay aspect or the LGBT aspect or the mental health aspect, they might get this additional thing from it mm. that they might not have got from, say, you know, the locker room, for instance, mm. which I think is really, really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, he goes on to talk about how much he wanted to win and contribute into the tournament at the end and considering the parallel of him, you know, talking about being on his floor and not wanting to get out of bed in the morning. I actually think it's quite radical to be able to go from that place of not feeling like you can be a part of the world and being so low that you're kind of in this state to finding joy and motivation and determination and and a sense of purpose and one thing as well and it kind of it's not mentioned until near near the near the end but the filmmaker Eamon Ashton Atkinson makes a really good point at the end and he is also a part of the team and there's a reason he I won't kind of I won't, I won't drop a spoiler, but there's a reason he ends up filming, and it kind of goes back to something that I think I've repeated a few times over the duration of episodes. But it's about kind of making things work mm. when when things maybe don't go the way you expect them to. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of have to, I guess, find ways to roll with things, and it kind of just shows what can be made of that. Mm-hmm. Um, in this instance, you know, a really fantastic critically acclaimed documentary so absolutely i think yeah very well done to everyone involved because we really loved it and i think it will help a lot of people actually so i think that's a perfect segue into our next interview um with our main guest who is a global advocate she's an athlete um, public speaker, which mm-hmm. is a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's Amazon Letty. My name is Amazon Letty, and my pronouns are she and her. 
So I grew up in an all-white background and I spent my childhood years um, in Sydney, Australia, really during a very hard time. I mean, what you see with the Trump administration, I've already been through that in terms of, um, you know, a country really turning on your community. And it, it re I, you know, as a child, you know, I really suffered from mental health issues because I was bullied constantly. I suffered a terrible amount of racism and discrimination and not really fully understanding why because I was Asian and that was the only reason. Um, and I went into sports very young, um, you know, I must have been like you know five or so, because I really wanted to find a sense of myself, a sense of com community, but it's just something that I loved as well. But I noticed very quickly that, you know, being the only Asian kid in sports, how people saw you. And I ended up in bodybuilding um, at a very young age. I mean, I was six at... The, the, the time extremely unusual for an Asian kid and a girl and you know <laughs> anyone of that age really and I just literally found a pair of dumbbells lying around the home and you know it, it quickly my mental health changed because I found team sports um, particularly a hostile environment being Asian being kind of bullied and discriminated against and suffering terrible amount of racism there but I went very quickly from kids sports to you know straight cisgender white male adult sports um, and I ended up going to the gym when I was about seven or eight very unusual but thrust into a very kind of locker room misogynistic very sexist environment and you know struggling as well with my sexuality you know being very confused inside of who I was but not seeing myself and, you know, never seeing an Asian person in the media as well, you know, really played a lot on my mental health because at times mm -hmm. I didn't really know who I was or I didn't really mm -hmm. want to be Asian or couldn't really put a finger on, you know, my sexuality. And obviously a lot of LGBTQ kids suffer from um, depression and mental health just because they just don't see their stories and they don't see themselves mm -hmm. reflected in the media and then being thrust into this very heterosexual masculine um, sports environment that told me instantly that I couldn't be anything else but mm -hmm. straight and I'd suffered a terrible amount of misogyny and um sexism to my face and behind my back and obviously I didn't know what to say I'm like a kid and I think they thought that this would be the way to push me out of the gym but I loved it so much I kept coming back I noticed a difference particularly in my mental health of how it changed me I you know I had very low self-worth mm -hmm. before starting bodybuilding um, I had no confidence at all I hated being Asian because society hated Asians and I hated this difference that I felt inside myself with my sexuality and not having a name for it and why I felt so confused about that and how people picked up on something quite different about me, but they couldn't mm -hmm. put their finger on it either. But bodybuilding just gave me this sense of self-worth and confidence and happiness that I found within myself. Mm -hmm. And I think as well, as my body started changing, and even as a child, I could see my physique changing slightly 
um, just gave me that confidence as well. And I felt stronger. And, you know, I really gravitated to these bodybuilding magazines that I would read. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't spend all the time in the gym floor. It was a very small part of my time in the gym. Most of the time, I'd be kind of you know, stealing drinks from the fridge and just sitting in reception, <laughs> looking at the magazines. Just being uh, in that environment. Um, yeah, just really being in that environment. I think it's because it's like something that I chose mm-hmm. and that kind of made a difference for me. And after a while, the men just kind of started to leave me alone. And I had no racism or bullying. It was just like misogyny and sexism, Mm. which, I mean, one isn't better than the other. But (laughs) once I started to gain respect from the men, and it was such a simple thing that I just had to lift as much as them or more than them. You know, I I latched, and I know he's probably like the most unusual mole model for a child. It was Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) Because as a child, I just kept reading these bodybuilding magazines and just reading about this really unique and interesting person. And I think it was just this aha moment of all this difference that I felt and my ups and downs with my mental health and feeling that my difference wasn't celebrated. I just saw someone who had this accent, a name no one could pronounce, from a faraway (laughs) place, looked physically very different, but then used sports as his platform to... Mm -hmm find his way in the world and kind of make an impact. And I think from that moment, I realized that my difference was something that I could be, that could be celebrated, mm-hmm. but also I could make an impact through sports that would take me places and I could do something with it. Though I didn't know, I mean, what that was, but I just saw through him. You know, I started competing as a teenager and that was still very difficult. I mean, I still suffered a terrible amount of bullying and racism. Um, and then in this very heterosexual sport where I just could never be myself. So I always had this idea that I could never be out, Mm. that I would always have to hide that part of myself. And that kind of saddened me, but I just, just suppressed it. And I think a lot of people who live in the closet at some point do, because I think this is the life that I'm going to have to lead. And, you know, it really Mm -hmm. obviously weighs on your mental health and, you know, as as well um, very heavenly because it feels like you have this you know a hundred ton bag yeah. that you're carrying around that you have to remember which story you told to ser- what and which person and you think from my mannerisms can people tell that mm-hmm. I might be different so you're constantly checking yourself and it consumes so much mm. um, en- energy but I noticed as well my difference you know because I was Asian because I was a woman because I was quite muscular and because I was competing no one knew what to do with that difference I actually thought I would be celebrated because I read about Arnold Schwarzenegger but I had no idea that he had worked so hard you know know, 10 years previously I just kind of saw what I saw in the magazine so I just kind of thought okay (laughs) it's gonna be like that (laughs) I was quite naive as a kid (laughs) I'm kind of glad I started bodybuilding at such a young age because I had no critical or lateral thinking you know I would just kind of go into the gym and see a guy lift 100 pounds and think oh I can do that as well (laughs) Um, and I remember once I did there was a squat machine and I think there must have been must have been 40 pounds and I had no idea the guy was just warming up and then I must have been like eight or nine at the time and I went over and the guy was like oh should I take them off and I was like no 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 that's fine (laughs) and he 
then obviously he walked away, but you know, turned around and think, she really going to be able to lift that? And as soon as I went under the squat machine, it just fell on me. And I literally had to crawl. Oh. oh. And the guy just kind of looked at me and thought, oh my gosh, but <laughs> this kid is that just... <laughs> like that lack of fear that you have Honestly. as a child, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, and I think that... You just don't have that fear. Yes, and I think that really helped me become the person that I am today mm. because I just built this kind of no fear element into my DNA and then particularly mm. being around adult men literally most of my time, which was obviously highly unusual for like a, you know, seven, eight-year-old yeah. girl. So I kind of de- developed, you know, just a very different kind of personality in terms of the way I carry um myself and then kind of fast forward as a young adult you know i think i held a lot of stuff in as a kid and particularly with my mental health it was like a ticking time bomb because i didn't really know how to release my feelings or how i felt inside and you know as a young adult you know once i left australia and started traveling overseas i I, you know, I think I, you're always kind of one check away from poverty or one person away, particularly when you're young, from falling into the bad crowd. And mm. I fell into the bad crowd of people, you know, drinking and drugs and partying and just kind of one thing led to the other. And I ended mm. up homeless for a number of years and in, in and out of shelters. And I thought that if my mental health was hard enough as a child, it absolutely hit rock bottom then I kind of never, I mean, I constantly felt suicidal. I was very depressed. I had days when I just couldn't wake up. I remember living in a shelter and just sleeping for literally two, three days and not being able to wake up and waking up on like, it must have been like the second or third day, just crying then for 24 hours and thinking, you know, what has become of my life and i just mm. remember just having that moment thinking i just need to try and pull myself out because i'm just falling darker and deeper down a black hole and it's not getting me anywhere and i think the lifetime of sports really helped me because i was able to go back into that sports mindset to help pull me out and i've realized sports has been my survival at difficult points in my life and even during the pandemic of you know that's been pandemic's been obviously hard for everyone the social isolation the lack of touch the 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 lockdowns the navigating even the easiest things like going to the supermarket and Mm. of you know how do I get myself feeling better I've had to go back to that mindset of sports and these kind of different points in my life you know I never set out to be an advocate um, absolutely not. My goal, and it came from my time with, um, you know, reading about Arnold Schwarzenegger was being a bodybuilder, competitive bodybuilder, going into the entertainment industry, um, like Arnold Schwarzenegger did, doing mm-hmm. acting and other things, which I did, but I ended up encountering a, a, a brick wall I, I just kind of thought that I could walk into it like <laughs> because I, did. I just had these like dreams and I, I got a lot of like um you know I, I I remember you know um auditioning for MTV and they just just didn't know what to do with with me an Asian bodybuilder who was 
muscular. They just could not see someone like me. And I always used to go, but Arnold Schwarzenegger. And they'd be like, mm. <laughs> like me. So I kind of moved away from that and then kind of used those kind of multiple platforms and roles to then move more into the health and fitness. And I kind of qualified as um, a, a strength coach. And and really my advocacy, I I just kind of, it was like an organic process mm. of how it happened, of just thinking about particularly Asian kids who were like me and, you know, not seeing ourselves in the media, not hearing our stories, you know, with my passion for sports, looking and thinking, we just don't see the professional Asian athletes that we should when, you know, society mm -hmm. has changed in the face of countries have changed, but, you know, we, we're still counting Asian athletes on half a hand. Mm. Um, and then I just started to build this platform. Um, and it really came from me going back home to Vietnam many years ago and randomly contacting governments. And I think I built built this kind of no fear attitude from my time in sports where I would just literally mm -hmm. call up a government and think they would listen to me <laughs> <laughs> and ask to meet them and said, can I share my story? And they actually said, I think I was obviously quite persistent, but they said, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I just realized how this started to resonate with different countries of sharing my story, the experience that I had what that would mean for their own marginalized communities as mm. well if they could you know help them through listening to my story that just kind of led me on this path to the advocacy work that i do today really mm. incredible i mean you faced a lot of unimaginable things that people would go through their entire lives without facing one of those things um but you're still here to tell the story how did you navigate your mental health through some of those tougher moments? Was it always um, coming back to the fitness element? I mean, I totally understand. I think I'm very fortunate that I'm here today to tell my story because I realise so many, particularly LGBTQ youth or any anyone, it, it's so hard to pull yourself out. It, it mm. really is. And, you know, I think I, re you know, from a very young age, I realised that no one really supported who I was mm. except for me. So I was very much alone in the world. And I thought, well, if no one's going to stand up for me, then I will have to stand up for myself. Um, it was very obviously very difficult with my mental health as a child. And I think sport might, really helped me. Mm. I mean, I think going into body, how unique it was but going into bodybuilding at such a young age and under 10 it really helped me because I think all the time that I spent in the gym reading about health and fitness reading about good nutrition learning about exercise I think that kind of saved me it kind of gave me some kind of pur purpose mm. um, as, as well of you know going into the gym and each day I was able to lift you know 10 pounds more so that kind of gave me a purpose and I realized with that it kind of helped my mental health some, somewhat. Um, being homeless was really difficult because when you've hit rock bottom and then, you know, you're severely depressed, your mental health is literally going up and down every day like a yo-yo. Some days you can't get out of bed and you're extremely suicidal. 
I had to find, I think what saved me is I had to find my big why. Mm. And I think for a lot of people, when they're suffering from severe mental health, we end up starting, we, we start to lose our purpose mm. as well. And then when we start to lose our purpose, when we start to lose our big why, then we start to question our whole existence. Mm-hmm. And, and that becomes very difficult. And for me, my big why was that, it was the, that point where I had slept like so many days in a row and I had literally ended up in a fetal position in the corner crying once I woke up. And I just kind of thought, what has become of my life? I have so much more to give. Mm. And I, I, I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. Yet, yeah. like that's what saved me because I had this big why. Even though I had nothing to give, I still had that goal because it came from when I was a child that I wanted to make an impact because I saw what Arnold Schwarzenegger did through <laughs> sports. Mm-hmm. It was like these really odd connections <laughs> that I was making in that moment, and I just kind of thought I could sink further and that means the end for me or i could find a way to pull myself out and mm. look it anyone who who's listening might think oh my god she's able it's like it was so difficult it wasn't easy at all it was mm. the hardest thing that i had ever have ever done in my life and i had a nervous breakdown doing it and it took mm. me years just to get myself mentally strong again of just you know, getting back on track with my eating, with exercising and just trying to feel good mm-hmm. about myself. You know, I think now I'm far more in tune with my mental health. And I think being kind, because look, we all have mental health. Some days mm. we have good days, some days we have not so good days. Yeah. I think the pandemic has been my second big test mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, I, I think, you know, being homeless was difficult, but I still had the sense of being able to touch people and hug people. You know, we didn't mm-hmm. have the pandemic. I think it would be so difficult being homeless and a pandemic at the same mm-hmm. time. I mean, you know, now I think, you know, I, have, I think the most important thing is that you need to have a checklist and a process of things you can do to keep your mental health stable. Yeah. Like I think of things like, I limit my news because just so much news and social media in the evening before bed, a couple of hours, I just put on classical music mm-hmm. and I turn everything off because I realize how my mind feels calm. But if you're, you know, flicking through Facebook and, you know, <laughs> gun shootings and, you know, people getting stabbed and beatings and this and that yeah. and horrible, you know, news about the pandemic and everything else, then you're just going to go to bed with a wavering mind mm-hmm. and, and and this unconscious anxiety and you you know you may not sleep very well and wake up and what kind of wonder why at the end of the week why you you just feel overtired and your mental health is up and down i do a lot of meditation i make sure i exercise but you know i've i've always throughout my entire life struggled with mental health i think i'm much better now to manage it um, then, and I have some devices that I use as, mm-hmm. as well. I have, um, a meditation headband and I have a, um, a spire that I put on. It's like a Fitbit, um, mm. that I attach to my bra and it, um, checks my breathing mm. and it tells me when I'm tense or when I'm calm, when to I haven't, slow down. yeah, taking yeah. deep breaths and you've 
realize you think my god i haven't taken a deep breath for like three hours yeah or you think you're calm and you think why have i been tense like five hours <laughs> yeah and i do a lot of breathing exercises um mm -hmm. as, as as well mm. so one of the things you just said is obviously one of the the things you kept thinking about during the darker times is you knew you knew that you had more to give and i think take a one look at your cv you've done some really incredible work and you've done it internationally as well you've done so much um across a range of different countries as well which has been phenomenal um what obviously you spoke about the kind of the, the main drive um especially from from childhood especially but um what have some of your personal highlights been i never could have imagined how much i've achieved and i always, and i had this very simple goal of I want to share my story with as many people as possible and it, mm -hmm. and hopefully that it just will resonate with one person. And that was, that has always been mm -hmm. my, my goal. I could never have imagined now that I'm, you know, ambassador to six organizations. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually the only Asian LGBTQ athlete that simultaneously has so many ambassador roles in different parts <laughs> of the world. And I've kind of carved this very unique path as well because the, the level of work that I do particularly on the governmental level there aren't any Asian LGBTQ mm -hmm. people with a sports background that kind of do this kind of work and I think for you know and I even have companies very well known fortune 500 companies ask me how, how do you get time mm -hmm. with you know these yeah. countries <laughs> 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 and I think it's through my um, lifelong um, you know passion for sports mm -hmm. because I started bodybuilding so young it just gave me this fearlessness because of entering into a male-dominated environment I just didn't have the critical or lateral thinking as a kid and I just had this no fear so I think that mm. became you know a superpower for me as an adult that I, I don't have this fear of calling up anyone in the world and making sure that they give their time to, to yeah. me so just for, for people listening, you've got a couple of um, photos on your website of some government officials that you've met. Yes, so I was part of the uh, Team Biden campaign, presidential campaign over the last year. And I was one of the LGBTQ and Asian digital committee advisors. Mm -hmm. um, yes, I do a lot. You know, when I talk about working with governments, I don't talk about, yes, you know, so <laughs> the, the local authority. <laughs> I just, sent, just to contextualise for anyone listening that maybe hasn't come across you before, I just want to set the set the level as to yeah, what it the, is the that you're talking about. Yes, yes, I'm talking about, <laughs> you know, working with the, the White House. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm talking about, you know, being invited to speak um, by the UK government. Um, at the United Nations for the Queen's mm. birthday a couple mm -hmm. of years ago. I'm talking about, you know, I, I went to a Qatar um, a number of years, years ago, pre-pandemic, and, you know, I, I had a meeting with 10 countries. Mm. It's like that that's the kind of level of work that I can command mm -hmm. now of walking into a room. You know, I collaborate with countries all around the world and I will host cocktail events with mm -hmm. their ambassadors at their private um, residence um, with other governments from around the world, business leaders and community leaders. You know, I didn't set out to do that kind of high level mm -hmm. governmental 
work. It's it was really just me having this very simple goal of mm -hmm. sharing my story and hoping someone would mm -hmm. li listen. And thinking of that, you speak um, very publicly about everything uh, you've been through from homelessness to LGBTQ advocacy in sport, HIV and AIDS and anti-bullying, all of which are very heavy subjects individually, especially for someone who's you know, been through some of those things. How do you protect yourself now in order to support the best way you can, especially for people wanting to get into that kind of work? Sure. And I never used to be so open either. And it took me a very long time. And there's still like bits of my stories that I mm -hmm. don't tell anyone because it's, you know, too, too intimate, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and personal to, to me. And, you know, I think, you know, self-care is mm -hmm. ac activism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as advocates, um, you know, people, everyone wants so much of who you are because you have to put yourself on the line to advocate for other people you can't do it behind you know a guarded closed door mm -hmm. <laughs> so i mean in my personal life i'm a, actually a very private person i i keep the difference between my work life and my mm -hmm. personal life uh, and i do a lot of self-care as as well in terms of how much work that i'm giving mm -hmm. myself i think that's important and i think you know it's important to be able to say no Mm -hmm. yeah. as well because I'm no good to anyone if I'm not taking care of myself first totally yeah I think that's a really important thing in yeah. this space especially because it is so personal to a lot of people it's so easy just to be kind of enveloped in it and before you know it you've completely burnt out mm -hmm. and all yeah. of the lines have been crossed and there's not a boundary in sight <laughs> <laughs> and as you say that that's no good for for you or for anybody else because you can't give anything then Yes, I know. And I think as an advocate, you kind of feel that, oh, I should say yes to everyone because there are, these are opportunities. And people understand if you say no mm, to yeah. them that you can't, can't, can't do it because you really mm. need to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So um, May is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. Um, and it feels particularly poignant right now, um, especially after the last year. And even more especially after the recent um, Stop Asian Hate online movement, um, which has followed spikes in anti-Asian hate crimes kind of across the Western world. What does this month mean to you? You know, for me, I kind of think, I mean, it is a special month because I think it's the one month in terms of we can really, even though obviously we should be celebrating who we are, you know, every, mm -hmm. every day because I'm not just Asian. Once, you know, <laughs> one month yeah. a year. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's, this one is particularly poignant because, you know, the pandemic, we never thought that there would be this wrath of, you know, violence and racism and xenophobia towards the Asian community all around the Western world. Mm -hmm. And as people say, you know, racism is the virus, you know, there's a vaccine for the virus, but mm -hmm. there isn't a vaccine for racism. Mm -hmm. And I think this month is particularly important because you know, you shouldn't just be celebrating our pain and trauma because it has felt no. like that the past year. You should be celebrating our triumphs and success. And I think, you know, this Asian Heritage Month, you know, we can we we've been celebrating our triumphs and success, the richness of our culture and our community. And I think the pandemic showed how little people know about the Asian mm -hmm. community that we're this monolith 
community yeah. that you know people say go back to China, but China isn't the continent of Asia. Mm -hmm. There are fifty countries in Asia. China is mm -hmm. just one of of them. So there's a lot of learning that everyone has to do, and I think you know that has weighed so much on people's, particularly Asian people's mental health, mm -hmm. the pan pandemic, the anxiety of, you know, I think the US has been particularly bad, you know, not being able to go outside because just the anxiety of, will someone say something to me, a, a racist slur or hit, hit me because I'm Asian. And then top of that, if you're LGBTQ mm -hmm. as well, the mental health, it's kind of it's like a, a, a double whammy of finding mm. ways to self-care in a very difficult time. Mm. I mean, we've seen a year of reflection for many people due to the pandemic and lockdowns, but especially around racism and how our society and government treats us. Have you noticed a shift in how people, especially white people, are engaging with the type of work you're doing? I think there has been a difference. I mean, the BLM movement, which obviously had been going before the pandemic, which, mm -hmm. you know, came to a head with the murder of George Floyd, you know, a lot of people, particularly business leaders, um, started to scramble of, you know, what, what kind of DNI are we doing? What kind of messaging yeah. are we are we doing? You know, particularly, I think white people came out in force because they were, I mean, I think everyone was obviously so horrified by what they saw. Um, there has been a shift, but also, you know, even though we feel like we've taken two steps forward, at the same time, we feel like we've taken two steps mm -hmm. back because then this racism and xenophobia towards the Asian community, I think I went through that as a child mm -hmm. and I'm now going through that a second time. But the difference is it wasn't one country. This is half the world. And, you know, when I was a child, it was obviously slurs and, you know, kids pushing you about, but this is very violent mm -hmm. in its a approach. So, you know, as, as much as we feel like we're getting better, there's still a lot to learn as well. And I think, you know, governments need to be held accountable. And I think we realize that, you know, our actions and what we say to people, because words do hurt and they weigh on our mental health mm -hmm. as well, because we need to understand, you know, mental abuse mm -hmm. just as yeah. much as physical ab abuse and how that weighs on someone's mental health hopefully this is one of or the last lockdown that we're now mm -hmm. leaving <laughs> um so fingers crossed things can start to open back up again what is on the kind of on the schedule for you what you have planned for me it's actually going to be a really busy time leading into 2022 because there are so many major sports events happening next mm. year so you know i've I now have six ambassador roles. I, in the last month, <laughs> three more came on. I'm Federation Gay Games, Copenhagen 2021, and Pride House Commonwealth Games. So I'm working towards Copenhagen 2021 mm -hmm. happening in August um, with the Commonwealth Games and Gay Games, obviously working towards 2022. Um, and having a still a lot of conversations around sports as, mm. you know, the world opens up. Because I think the pandemic gave us a moment to reset and sports is giving us now a moment to come together. Mm. And we've mm. never seen the athlete activism that we had seen ever mm. in the last year. So I'm still having a lot of conversations around looking through the lens of sports when it comes to equality, you know, the challenges and barriers that Asian, particularly Asian LGBTQ athletes face getting to pro 
mm-hmm. level and how we can use sports to you know create this brave new world because it has to be uh, dif- different. Mm-hmm. Um, and then next year I plan to launch my own organization as well. So I, I do have quite a lot mm-hmm. on my plate. <laughs> <laughs> As mentioned at the latter part of that interview, we had a conversation about the rise in Asian hate crime recently, specifically during the COVID pandemic because of racist perspectives and point of views. Sadly, these aren't isolated just to COVID. Racism has been rife, especially in the LGBT community, for years. I mean, we're thinking about, you know, I haven't been on ground long, but no blacks or Asians, for example, which is disgusting. Adam Colors on the Pride flag, that was an enormous debate. Mm-hmm. Blackface in clubs, it always gets dug up mm-hmm. um, on social media, mm-hmm. setting drag queens. But speaking of COVID specifically, just because it has been so rife currently, and think, think of the US specifically as well, the New York Times published an article in which they used media reports from across the US um, to get a, a sense of the rising tide of anti-Asian bias and found more than 110 episodes since March 2020, in which it was clear that there was evidence of a race-based hate. But they go on to say that the tally may only be a sliver of the violence and harassment, given the general undercounting of hate crimes. Yeah, I think one thing it's important to say as well, especially about reporting of hate crimes, Mm. is that different demographics may may fear reporting it to the police for fear of not um, being dealt with properly, Mm -hmm. or not being believed, or not, not, it may not, may not believe that it was a big enough of a deal to report it as such. Or get an equally racist person that they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. But we spoke about this in our episode with Jamie Windust, actually, um, when we spoke about the police in there. It's a difficult one because we know that there's a a difficult balance of reporting things to a a system that don't necessarily protect all people and that reinforce systems that oppress certain people. It's It's a difficult, it's a difficult one. Yeah, and especially sitting here as two white, mm. cisgendered gay men, we will only know mm. a, a portion of the the feeling that goes into all of these events. The Stop AAPI Hate Reporting Center, um, which is a US-based um, organization, tracks incidents of discrimination, hate, and xenophobia against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in the US, recently revealed that they've recorded 3,795 anti-Asian racist racist incidents, which include verbal harassment, shunning, and physical attacks between March 2020 and February 2021. Um, The Center for Study of Hate and Extremism, meanwhile, found that the number of anti-Asian hate crimes reported to police rose 149% between 2019 and 2020. So that was pre-pandemic. Obviously, this is not just happening in the US. Mm. This is happening kind of around the world um uk police data suggests there's been a rise of 300 percent in hate crimes towards chinese east and southeast asians in the first quarter of 2020 compared with the same period in 2018 and 2019 um according to the end the virus of racism which is a uk-based advocacy group mm. the trend is still continuing now recently there has actually been um a bill passed in senate uh, which is an anti-asian hate crime bill and there's a quote here that says the, le- the legislation would create a new justice department position to more quickly review hate crime reports linked to the coronavirus pandemic 
and provide support to state and local officials responding to hate crimes, which is definitely a step in the right direction. Luckily, in the UK and elsewhere, there are some great organisations that are working to support Asian people and specifically to support LGBTQ plus Asian people. For example, Gaysians is a non-profit organisation, which is the umbrella brand for the South Asian LGBT plus community. They've partnered with AKT in the past with a series of interviews, and they also produce their own content as well. So you can find them at Gaysians.org for more information on how to support. So if you want to find out a little bit more about anything we've talked about in this episode, you can go to our website, botanypodcast.com, for more about Steelers. Mm-hmm. Their Instagram handle is Steelers the Movie. <laughs> Not Steelers like theft. Oh no, like Steedable Steedable Yeah. Um Amazon Letty is at Amazon Letty. We'll put all of these in the in the episode bio as well. Yeah. It is Mental Health Awareness Week. Um, 10th to the 16th of May mm-hmm. um, so we won't have an episode out that week so this is kind of bridging mm. um, the week but do keep an eye out um, we'll be sharing some stuff on our socials Yeah. Um, we may be cropping up to do some video content somewhere with some other people keep an eye out but otherwise we'll be back in two weeks mm-hmm. with our next guest who is the gorgeous, the talented, sensational. Did you stone those tights? Sister, sister. <laughs> From Drag Race UK Season 2. Get subscribed. As usual, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave a little review. Maybe a five star. Whatever you're feeling that day, as long as it's you know, not below three. <laughs> but as usual, you do an amazing sweetie. You're doing amazing sweetie. Take care of yourself. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.